In this episode of the Annie Centre podcast, we are going to be discussing your teenager, depression, and the lasting impacts of COVID-19. My name is Justin Kingdon. And I'm Dr. Anne Chalfont. And welcome to the Annie Centre podcast. One mother, one mission. To create a world where families thrive. Dr. Anne Chalfont, internationally acclaimed clinical psychologist, family therapist, author, and mother of four children, brings you powerful and practical parenting techniques from her clinical and personal experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in the house. Good morning and welcome to all of our listeners uh, from near and far. And uh, good morning, Dr. Chalfont. Good morning. Uh, So why uh, are we talking about this particular topic today? Well, I think COVID-19 has shone a light on mental health and particularly on depression. There's been suggestions within governments here and worldwide that not only might we be up for second waves of COVID-19, the physical illness, but the risks to mental health could be even greater. Um, Lockdowns and school shutdowns and living remotely is definitely shining a light on people who are struggling uh, with upheaval in their lives and uh, being distanced socially or being forced into being distanced socially and all of the ramifications that has for mental health and normal functioning. So coming to the point of teens, we're talking about that because when you think about upheaval and disruption, I've been really thinking a lot lately about senior high school students um, and the disruption to, the le- to their lives, particularly because of COVID-19. And for those who may have already been at risk of mental health difficulties, maybe with pressure from school or family circumstances, living with some stress and anxiety and low mood, this kind of situation uh, is really a great trigger or tipping them over the edge, if you like, into, um, for many, into a major depressive episode. And I can certainly think of um, my own patients at the moment um, and some who are senior high school students who are experiencing great difficulties with depression um, at the moment. And so I wanted to talk about that this morning. Um, if you can think about, you know, some of the reasons why. So, uh, you know, the end of high school is looming already mm. for teenagers and um, for many they don't really know what they're going to do with their life so that uncertainty the added pressure of exams and assignments that are finally due um, possibly pressure from family within family to to work out what their path is going to be moving forward that's already stressful for them mm-hmm. without COVID-19 mm-hmm. um, and then bring in COVID-19 into the mix and suddenly school is shutting down prematurely uh, those those milestones that they are possibly looking forward to as great markers, um, almost like a rite of initiation, really, or a rite of passage mm. into adult life, um, final school gatherings, uh, final school award ceremonies, marking um, great achievements or even effort for, for many. Mm. Um also the fun social activities that they'll be missing out on, the final dinners, school formals and uh, all those sorts of things that they look forward to so much as a reward for hard work uh, and an opportunity to be with friends again who they've really spent the last, you know, for in many instances the last 12 years with, for some it's the last six or seven years. Um, 
but certainly a large and very important part of their life. So when that is abruptly disrupted, uh, again, that level of upheaval overlapping or overlaying what is already a stressful and difficult time um, really serves as a trigger for mental health difficulties. And then bringing into the mix further re um, entering normal life in in a different kind of way now that some restrictions are being eased in in Australia, certainly, and across the globe. Um, And then there's a readjustment that they have to undergo. What does school look like now? Um, The fact that certain schools at different times may need to be prepared to close again for a couple of days as different pockets of the virus Mm may, uh, you know, raise its head. And so I suppose the uncertainty around that, being prepared for any situation around remote learning again or learning face-to-face, not really having great clarity perhaps around what's happening with end-of-year exams, all of those things are disruptive Mm. and unsettling. And so when there is that unsettling, uh, those extra factors that create further unsettlement, um, as I said, that overlapping whatever is already a difficult, stressful and anxiety-provoking time in the final years of school uh, really is a recipe for poor mental health um, and particularly for low mood, for feeling um, possibly a sense of frustration or maybe even hopelessness about the current situation, certainly, and maybe even into the future. Um, And all of those are the sorts of thoughts that go along with depression. So I'd also imagine... um because we, we were looking at the, uh, we are going to be looking at the lasting uh, I- impacts here, uh, is also the job market at the moment is very um, grey uh, in terms of uh, if you were looking as a teen post-learning uh, to go get a job and there's high unemployment at the moment. Well, certainly many teens um, will look to things like casual employment to um, subsidise, you know, what their university studies, for example, they need funding. Um, and many are yeah, considering longer term prospects in terms of career paths. Many will be in families just considering the job market, not just for themselves, but in families at the moment where parents have actually lost jobs or lost employment. Um, and that adds further stress mm. to their lives as well, because they watch um, that loss of their parents and they feel perhaps, um, you know, obviously very sorry for them, very worried about what their future will look like for the parents and for themselves and for the family unit. Um, They may feel guilty, unnecessarily so, Mm. um, but there's all sorts of emotions that are stirred up, negative emotions. Um, So yes, definitely that's one aspect as well Mm. worth considering. So let's look at the definition of uh, depression and then some uh, statistics there youth uh, face today when it comes to that. Um, well, in terms of statistics, these are two quite troubling statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, one statistic is when we look at youth, so I'm thinking about individuals that are anywhere from 4 to 17 years of age. One statistic is that one in 35 um, will experience um, or suffer with depression, and I think that's a pretty astounding statistic when we consider that we're talking about people who are you know, 17 years and younger. And then another astounding statistic is that 15% of six 
16 and above year olds will experience some form of depression in their adult life, Um, whether that's a major depressive episode or whether that's uh, just longer periods of low mood, which we call dysthymia. Um, I think, again, that's a troubling statistic. So definitely depression is no no small issue um, and certainly is something that needs attention and support. And then uh, what, you know, what is depression, the definition around it? So it's really a sense of, you know, feeling, um, we all identify with feeling sad and low um, or losing a sense of hope at different points in our life, maybe through specific events. But depression is feeling like that more intensely um, for typically longer or more sustained periods of time. So feeling extremely intensely low um, for weeks, months, or in some instances, it can be years um, in, in time, feeling hopeless, um, feeling worthless, feeling guilty, uh, feeling that, you know, for teenagers, if we think about comments that they may make, I'm a failure, that things are their fault when they may not be. So really personalising um, experiences in a negative way and uh, imagining, you know, that that that's a reflection of them mm-hmm. um, when it may not be. Um, so accompanying depression is typically quite unhealthy negative uh, thinking or unhelpful negative thinking, often unrealistic and sometimes irrational um, negative thinking around uh, guilt, around problems being because of them solely, um, seeing difficulties as permanent and quite pervasive that for example if they've uh well right now i mean they may take you know look at the pervasive difficulty of COVID 19 and the yes. isolation then they're not maybe doing as well as they thought they'd be doing yes in responses back from teachers with their work and this could be quite you know quite uh, a uh, self-fulfilling cycle it could be and also um even within themselves so making situations more personal than they need to be so for example teenagers obviously with socializing if there was um you know some sort of issue with a friend um a disagreement maybe a teenager who is inclined um towards depression would personalize that would believe that that Uh, difficulty or disagreement was entirely their fault and that therefore they may always have difficulties with friends into the future and that all their relationships may be impacted um, by their poor handling um, of social situations or conversations. So they over-personalise and they see things as more pervasive and more permanent than they really need to be. So that kind of unhealthy, unhelpful thinking is characteristic of the sort of negative thinking that is part of depression. And then it affects, obviously, because of that low mood Um, there's a real lethargy so there's a a loss of energy and a loss of interest in daily activities Um, for teenagers that might be in socializing it might be in completing everyday tasks it might be in attending school altogether um, a sense of withdrawal from those things Um, and certainly the physical impacts of depression are important to discuss as well or be aware of so the impact to sleep um, to diet often there's either under eating or overeating um, because of low mood um, and lack of energy leads to lack of interest in activity like exercise um, which we know has very important benefits um, for us so they're some of the characteristics or hallmarks of depression so there seems to be three groups that parents should be uh, really taking notice of at this time which there are things that the child says and you mentioned some of the key phrases Mm -hmm. and then what they 
do or don't do in terms of their not wanting to go not wanting to go to school not wanting to complete tasks fully or to their best ability and then so noticing those uh, and then uh then seeing them actually withdraw potentially yes so uh so they're 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 things that um would be there anything else that you'd suggest for parents to hear for or look for to pick up if their teenager is depressed? Um, sometimes teenagers just will have unexplained kind of angry outbursts. I mean, we can all do that when we're stressed and frustrated, can't we? Um, but uh, that may be another indicator that something, you know, unexplained angry outbursts, teenagers who sort of withdraw and hold things in for long periods of time. So the teenager that once might have been more open and communicative with you is suddenly more shut down um, and hard to communicate with and then all of a sudden may burst um, or have a you know meltdown or an angry outburst that you feel is unexplained or unaccounted for so uh you know they they may be other indications that something is really not quite right um as i mentioned the social withdrawal the lack of interest in completing schoolwork or uh, even attending school uh, are big indicators for teenagers right excellent now so what are the main treatment options um, in, in mainstream treatment, if we think just about that, uh, typically treatment involves either some sort of psychological uh, therapy or medication um, or a combination of both. So they're the three main pathways, so one or the other or both. Um, and in terms of the psychological therapies, there's probably the most evidence or scientific basis or support for a treatment called cognitive behaviour therapy or CBT. And I think most people are, are pretty aware of, of that these days. Um, essentially what it involves is uh, looking at the kind of unhelpful thoughts that we were just talking about um, and trying to address those in therapy, helping to highlight to the depressed teenager um, the degree to which those thoughts may be unhealthy and possibly unrealistic or irrational even, um, and helping them to think differently about their situation, um, to try and think more realistically, more rationally and and possibly more positively, um, to focus on their strengths as well. and then the behaviour part of cognitive behaviour therapy is about trying to get the individual to increase their activity levels, essentially. So we call it behaviour activation, and, and we, really what it involves is is two things. One, trying to schedule in more pleasant events for that teenager so that there are things through their week that are deliberately planned that they can look forward to. Um, by being pleasant, they then lift the mood um, or and or um, really and uh, scheduling in other activities, so trying to increase just their general activity level through things like exercise, um, getting back into maybe some sort of routine around you know, completing tasks for school or other things at home, um, anything really that lifts their activity level so that they can derive some satisfaction from completing um, a task or seeing something through. So activities that lift their mood because they're pleasant plus other activities that just generally give them some sense of satisfaction and accomplishment over something. Um, that's the behavioural part. Um, there are other types of psychological therapies that are becoming more well-known and well-regarded. Uh, so things like acceptance and commitment therapy is another one um, because there's an emphasis within that on uh, 
mindfulness and meditation and trying to uh, accept um, one's challenges but look to focus more on the present moment rather than get very caught up in ruminations and worries that are either future focused or um, regretting past actions because clearly those uh, are unhelpful thoughts to any individual um, and then as I said the the medication is the other um, sort of mainstream approach um, and clearly if if you have a teenager that is depressed and you're seeking um, a path of either psychological interventions or medication or both you you should be tapping into very experienced and qualified health professionals to assist with that so for medication um, the first port of call as a GP to hopefully give you a referral to a child psychiatrist um, or adolescent psychiatrist and for the psychological interventions then you're best placed to see a good clinical psychologist who's experienced in treating depression. Excellent so uh, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, how these treatments work and uh, and how what a teenager would expect uh, going through that treatment process? Well, in, you're talking about psychological interventions? Yes, yeah, the psychological Okay, so, um, I mean, because in the, in the area of medication, obviously that's not my expertise, I'm not a medical doctor, mm. um, but uh, that's a matter of working with a medical professional, as I said, a, a child or an adolescent psychiatrist, and having them manage and support that process. It's not ideal for people to be self-medicating or, or really going to their GP, being put onto some medication and, and then kind of checking in every now and then from there. They really need quite specific support. Um, in terms of the psychological interventions and how that what, what that sort of looks like for a teenager, I mean, in, in my practice, maybe if I use that as a um, proposed good standard, um, what it looks like is, is first of all, the parents actually, without the teenager, going along to see the clinician or the professional and speak to them at length about what their concerns are and what they've noticed in their son or daughter um, and uh, what they're how life is going at home and and getting assistance as to anything they can do to better support their son or daughter and then subsequent to that or after that it would be about the adolescent or the teenager going along for some regular sessions if someone's very depressed um, or, or has major depression then um, you know at least weekly sometimes multiple times a week they might need to be seeing a clinician um, and it's typically it typically involves you know really those therapies are about talking with that person um, the first step is really getting to know the client well um, so the first couple of sessions might simply be um, a matter of really understanding the teenager's perspective and trying to build a relationship and establish rapport with them um, so, you know I'm, I'm sure many people would understand that if you don't have a good working relationship with someone then all of the advice and suggestions in the world don't mean much to a teenager if they don't find you a credible person to work with so building rapport with a teenager is really critical um, because they have their guard up typically when they come along for therapy or for treatment and then um, as I said it really is about breaking down the um, elements of addressing thoughts and the way thoughts interfere um, in depression, the negative thoughts and the ruminations and the sort of cycling through unhelpful thinking that can happen and trying to find an inroad with that. 
and then uh, working with them in a step-by-step way to increase their activity levels gradually and get them back into life, whatever that might look like mm. um, for them. And, and certainly to try and uh, also give them support socially because typically they have withdrawn socially and trying to build up um, and renew, I suppose, social interaction and social skills as well. And in the era of telehealth, mm-hmm. which we find ourselves in, um, how are these treatments playing out uh, today? Look, I think telehealth um, has been su- such a welcome addition um, in in COVID-19 for treating depression or treating any mental health difficulty and certainly for teenagers. I mean, if, if we just think about people in regional and remote areas to begin with, of course, for them, that has been a major um, benefit because they can access support more readily and more regularly um, without all of the practical difficulties that they may have once experienced. So that's fantastic. Um, and I think, you know, for those living in, you know, business, you know, the central business districts or metropolitan areas, um, telehealth again has been, I think for the large part, very positive. Um, certainly from my own clients, they seem to be finding it beneficial and, and from the psychological bodies and professional bodies that I'm uh, a member of. The feedback from clinicians is definitely that it has been of benefit. It's not as clunky or as awkward as we were concerned it might be, um, not sitting face-to-face with a client um, or a patient. Um, there seems to still be the ability to have good rapport and a good working relationship with a client across a screen. Um, and I think the fact that at this time there is this extra risk of mental health difficulty and things like depression for teenagers, um, it's critical that we have a way for them to access support when they can't access a face-to-face session. Um, many clinicians now are going back to their rooms and, uh, you know, with new social distancing measures and and uh, hygiene, you know, pr- protective and hygiene measures um, in place, opening up for face-to-face sessions. But for some teenagers, they may want to simply stay using telehealth. They might not be comfortable enough to... Um, get out of the house, get on a train and get to a clinician or, you know, get the bus somewhere or or be driven somewhere. They may want to remain from home and, and access therapy at home. Mm. And I think telehealth will really um, address that part of the population who are not yet able to um, get themselves to an appointment for various reasons, either practically or because psychologically they're not ready yet, mm. um, but still give them support that they need. Fantastic. Uh, So uh, what other strategies would you suggest? Um, I think beyond, you know, the, the sorts of things that are covered in a mainstream treatment, there's a number of things specific to teens um, and, and for families, I suppose, listening to this who have teenagers that I wanted to um, raise. And some of these are pretty common sense, but I think they can never really be overstated um, because they are quite critical. So one thing is just introducing mindfulness for teenagers. As I said, it is um, an area of research that we've now seen quite a lot of good support from in the last, you know, 10 to to 15 years. And uh, allowing teenagers to have a a 10-minute time a day, perhaps, where they focus on some sort of mindfulness activity or meditation or, you know, trying to be just present to the present moment um, and focused on that only rather than caught up in worries. So creating some distance from worries and anxieties and and thoughts um, that get you down and trying to focus on the present moment, the here and now, in a mindful way is really important. And there are some really good apps that can assist 
with that. So um, two apps that I really like that I recommend to my own patients are either Smiling Mind or Buddhify. Um, so Smiling Mind or Buddhify, and they're apps that have very um, easy to use uh, mindfulness activities. And so uh, just 10 minutes a day really is all that's required. If you're um, incorporating that into a routine daily, that would make a big difference. Um, I think, as I said, you can never overstate some of the practical common sense um, aspects of health and well-being, like sleep, like good diet, like exercise. And for someone who is depressed, um, these things really tend to be the first that go out the window. They are typically poor sleepers, um, teenagers, you know, generally uh, the ones that are going for, you know, high sugar burst snack foods um, because of, you know, study and wanting a quick um, burst of energy, etc., to get them through the afternoon and evening, um, let alone when they're depressed and, and can't be bothered either making a meal or participating in a meal that's made for them and they just don't have the energy to do that. So um, diet and helping them with their diet as parents or as a family is really important. Um, and exercise for sure, because we know that there are actually physical um, you know, chemical changes that occur in the brain um, in terms of increased levels of serotonin and endorphins when we exercise. So um, doing that more regularly to help lift mood. They're just, they're, they are natural ways that the brain lifts mood um, through those chemical changes. So trying to rebalance, if you like, the chemistry of the brain through regular exercise is important. And that can be as simple at the moment. We can't get to gyms. And I know... Um, in terms of mental health, I was listening actually to someone speak about this the other day, and I've certainly seen this with my own patients. For those who like to go to the gym as a structure in their life where they feel um, that they are accomplishing something and it does lift their mood, with gyms closed, there is some risk to mental health around that. And I know my own clients um, who enjoy the gym have commented on feeling lost without it. But things as simple as going for a regular walk, maybe walking with a parent um, so that there's extra support. Um, you know, there are certainly lots of YouTube um, clips and, and great exercise professionals who are now putting their work online so that people can access those routines and um, plans through their home, you know, at home. Um, so there's no need, uh, there's no reason not to be able to exercise um, in whatever way that works for you. Keeping connected with people is another thing um, that's really important. So as I said, teenagers may be socially withdrawn when they're depressed. So finding opportunities to keep them connected, even when they're isolated. So using things like Zoom, you know, uh, WhatsApp chats, um, but encouraging that as parents, I think is is critical. Um, the need for good routines to be maintained, and we talked um, at length about this in the podcast that we did on routines. But the the benefits to mental health of having a good routine or a clear pathway through the day that gives a teenager a sense of structure, and then allows those opportunities for them to feel that they are actually accomplishing something, mm-hmm. as little as that may be, um, is very important. I think parents. Parents need to really help a teenager keep perspective in their final years of high school to understand that although high school and the end of high school is a very important milestone um, and maybe does create some paths into things like further study or further education or further training programs, it's not the be all and end all. Many adults, these days most adults, change their career, change their paths um, as they go on. And I think the, the level of pressure that we place on teenagers 
teenagers to somehow have a clear path now at this stage in their life where developmentally that's not typically um, the, you know expected or, or, or the case is really um, unfair to them and puts unnecessary pressure on them. So I think keeping, you know, in, in New South Wales, we have the higher school certificate or the HSC. That's our final set of exams. In other states of Australia, it's called something else. In the in other parts of the world, there'd be other markers. But whatever they are, they need to be kept in perspective, absolutely. And family pressure, um, I think, only makes that worse. So for parents to just be mindful of that is really important. And then I think the other thing I would say as a final strategy is just the importance of persistence. Teenagers who are more withdrawn because they are depressed are not going to be inclined to come to parents with their problems. Um, they may not even go to their friends who they identify more with potentially with their difficulties. And so keeping up open and you know, regular communication with your teenager, even if it's not the first, second, third, even the 10th time when you approach them and speak to them and, and they feel comfortable to open up to you, not giving up, not letting them see that you're frustrated by that um, and that you do kind of give up on them just because, oh, you know, I've tried, I've tried and I've tried. Um, and I know many parents say that to me, but you, you must never give up on a teenager who is so low because it may be the 50th time um, when you speak to them that they feel um, that they're comfortable then or something you've said, maybe it's a word or a phrase on that 50th occasion that reaches them and they feel more comfortable then to act. Um, but not letting them go and not letting them think that, um, you know, you've tried enough and you're done with that is really important. So persistence, I think, is really critical. That's a really good message. Never give up. Um, so what can teens do right now with the HSC or final year exams for, as a broader uh, name for that? Uh, that's around the corner. So what can they do right now to manage their depression or low points? I think, as I said, um, the most critical things they, they can be doing is is trying, w with these exams around the corner, is trying to get themselves, um, with support from family, some sort of a structured routine around, um, you know, attending school, participating in activities, um, some element of socialising with friends, um, routines around study, you know, or, or preparing for final exams, um, and and the 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 possible final milestones that there may be um, for them at school and uh, final milestones and extracurricular activities that they may be involved in. So it's really about establishing structure um, and routine. That's that's one really critical thing that teenagers need to, to do. And someone who's depressed is not going to do that on their own. They need support to do that. So that the support of the clinician that's working with them, but certainly the support of parents um, and the professionals that in their school that may work with them, their teachers as well. Um, and then the other aspect, as I said, that's really critical beyond accessing psychological support is um, around sleep, diet and exercise. So um, having a good sleep routine, a, a regular bedtime, you know, not being awake till all hours of the night doing work and then, um, you know, online potentially with friends. Um, that's really unhealthy. Um, and we know that when we don't sleep well, we don't function well um, mentally. We don't think clearly. Um, and so when you're depressed and you're not thinking clearly, because of lack of sleep it's even worse um, diet and exercise we talked about the importance of those so having a good diet that's supported by family because again the teenager is not going to be inclined to do that themselves at this point when they're depressed 
um, and exercising regularly and getting them out to exercise. So there's some practical things that we've covered. And the other thing is just accessing help. If someone is depressed and they're not yet accessing professional support, get them to a GP. Um, the family needs to um, take them along to see the GP to trigger off a process where they can go and see a clinician and perhaps um, access some funded support. Certainly in Australia, we have Medicare items that relate to psychological intervention um, and uh, accessing those through a GP mental health care plan is really important. Um, Some families don't want to do that and they can just go straight to a clinician. You can self-refer to see a clinical psychologist. Um, But uh, seeking professional support, depression is not something that goes away on its own. It does need the input of a professional. Um, All the other strategies that I was mentioning beyond that are things that the family and the individual can do, but it has to be done alongside seeing a professional. So if we uh, flick the switch here and say, um, if you are a teenager listening to this uh, and you notice or maybe think your friend might be suffering from depression, uh, as a friend, how can you support that person? I think there's two things that I would say. One is understanding what your role is in that friendship. And what I mean by that is the balance between maintaining a friendship and being supportive versus going beyond that into acting as if you are a third parent to that individual and trying to fix them or rescue your depressed friend because that's not your role in a friendship and that can do more harm than good. Um, It can do more harm to you as the concerned friend because, um, you know, it can really wear you down and you can become at risk of depression and low mood yourself. Um, And it also can do harm to the relationship that you have with the friend who may be depressed. Um, So understanding that your role is to be supportive as a friend and to be available. We talked about with parents, maintaining open, open communication. It's the same within a friendship. You know, friends and teenagers are usually the people that, um, a depressed teenager may turn to first. Perhaps they have a better relationship in some instances with their friends than they do or feel more comfortable with their friends than they do with their parents. So if you notice a change in your friend for the worse, if you notice that they seem more withdrawn or down or low, mentioning that to them um, at a time that seems appropriate um, and calm in a caring way um, and trying to suggest to them that they access some sort of professional support is a really good thing to do. Now, then it may not always be easy to know when that time is and how to go about that conversation. And on that point, one um, app that I've discovered um, that Beyond Blue, an organisation in Australia, have put together is a fantastic app called the Check-In app. Um, And what the Check-In app does is it actually creates a clear scaffold for a concerned friend to approach their possibly depressed friend with exactly how to have the conversation. The app helps you talk about what phrases or identify what phrases you're going to use, knowing what you know about your friend and what would work best for them, what timing you might use. So when will you have that conversation? In what kind of location will you have the conversation? What do you think will be the best environment to have that conversation? So it, it, it provides you with a detailed plan basically to arm yourself with to then approach your 
friend um, so that you feel more confident and more comfortable speaking to them. And then it gives you um, backup plans as well. So if the first time round that conversation is unsuccessful, then um, it gives you a backup plan uh, as to what to do next, what to say next time, um, how to handle that in yourself, and uh, and 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 then to have another try. So it's a fantastic app, and I think any teenager who's concerned about a possibly depressed friend should download that. It's free, um, and that would give them great confidence and a great guide. Um, and as I said, I think the main thing to remember is just your role. You know, we don't want other teenagers being worn down and exhausted by feeling that they are now the parents or that they have to fix or rescue their friend. You can't rescue someone within a friendship when another person is depressed. They need professional support. You can be available and supportive of them and enable them to seek support by giving them feedback that you notice changes in them and that you think that they need that help um, and that you're available to them if they ever want to talk to you and that you will support them through whatever help they seek. Um, But that's as far as it should go so that you are maintaining your own mental health. Excellent. So uh, to finish, what other resources would you recommend? Um, So I mentioned the Beyond Blue website just then, so beyondblue.org.au beyondblue.org.au and that website um, and that organisation provides a huge number of resources for people from fact sheets to little checklists that an individual can complete to even um, assess themselves to see whether they may be at risk or showing some signs or indications of depression. Um, The check-in app um, is what they produced as I said as well. Um, There's separate information there for depression in adults versus youth Um, There's great information for carers um, and people in the support network to look at and access. So there's um, a a wealth of information in that organisation. A similar um, website in terms of great information for individuals is the Raising Children website. Um, And that website address is raisingchildren.net. Au, raisingchildren.net.au. And then, of course, for someone where they're not only depressed, but there's also risk of suicide or thoughts around that, um, we would recommend in Australia that they contact Lifeline. The number is 13 11 14. 13 11 14 for Lifeline. And then, as I said earlier, those apps um, for things like mindfulness, so Smiling Mind, Buddhify, and as I mentioned, for a teenager who's concerned about a friend, the check-in app. So there's some great resources there that people could access. Fantastic. Uh, so thank you very much, Dr. Chalfont, uh, for all of that wonderful information. Uh, we hope that it's been uh, useful to our listeners. Um, please comment uh, on that on this episode when we put it up on Facebook and uh, when we're on you'll find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify um, please go to the Facebook page uh, at Dr. Anne Chalfont and uh, uh, please communicate with us uh, and uh, and share these episodes with friends uh, who may have teenagers who could be struggling or it's just good advice in general uh, the website is www.anniecenter.com and if you go to the podcast page you'll see 
uh, all of the podcasts that we've previously recorded there, uh, and uh, including the podcast on uh, routines. And there's also a routine download uh, that uh, you can access, and you can see the uh, the uh, structured routine example uh, that was put together. Uh, by Dr. Chalfont, uh, and you can use that as a, a as a starting point, or your child can use that as a starting point uh, in organising their day. Uh, particularly as we now seem to be returning in some way to uh, some level of normalcy, and uh, and hopefully. Uh, we can soon see sports opening back up as well. Uh, and as you talked about, children um, may exercising. Have, yeah, mm. exercising and may have missed out on uh, maybe missing their their, their football club. Mm, their, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so it's fantastic that that's starting. So getting them back into gear around that will be um, can, can be enormously beneficial all around for them. Mm. So uh, again, thank you for your time. Thank you. The Annie Centre podcast was brought to you by Annie Centre Proprietary Limited. Please visit anniecentre.com and subscribe to receive the latest updates and digital downloads from Dr. Anne Shalfant. 